Good to be with you, church family. Uh, really excited to be sharing God's Word with you. Um, this weekend, uh, the passage we're actually looking to, I have to share with you, this is my favorite passage. If I was going to share any section of God's Word with people, this would be my jam. This is my bread and butter. This is the heart of who I am personally. And so I'm super excited that we're going to be opening this up together. And the reason why is this passage we're turning to is actually the passage God used to bring me to salvation. About 10 years ago, I was in my dorm room at Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts, and God opened up Romans 6 uh, while I was spending time in my devotions, and that was the passage that God used to bring me to life. It was awesome. And it's also been the passage that God has used in my past uh, to actually bring moments of seasons of, in, of great freedom from struggle against sin. And so I'm really grateful to be sharing it with you. Romans chapter 6, as well as a portion of chapter 7 and chapter 8 is where we're going to be spending our time. So let's open up God's Word together. We're going to start in the first 14 verses of Romans chapter 6. So it starts out, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now just to pause there, you might start, that's kind of a weird way to kind of start a sentence, and start a verse, you're like, what, what are you talking about continuing in sin? Well, to understand, uh, the Apostle Paul has been spending the first five chapters of the book of Romans talking about the greatness of God, how great God is, and how poor we really are, and how amazing He is, and how needy we really are, and, and how right He is, and how much we are unable to be right with Him in and of ourselves. And so because of that, Jesus came, and because of that, Jesus lived the life we have not been able to live, and He died the death every one of us deserved to die, and He made a way for us to be right with God through faith in Him. And that's the first five chapters of the book. And then because of that, Paul is writing and he starts here and he's actually answering what might be a conclusion that someone would make in light of that. God, he is so amazing. My sin is so great and his grace is so incredible that it would cover all of that sin. So why don't I just keep living in sin? Wouldn't that just show how great his grace is? And Paul says, verse 2, by no means, some translations say, God forbid... No way. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And this is where it gets really important. We can't live in sin. Why? Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Got to pause there because some of us might read that and go, whoa, what are y'all talking about? Are you talking about getting into the water and coming out? No, this is probably not talking about water baptism. This is talking about the moment when someone puts their, gives their life to Jesus. At that moment, when they put their faith in Jesus, that word baptized means to be put into, submerged. It means Jesus' life and our life are united together. It's like his life becomes my life. His record becomes my record. When I gave my life to Jesus, it's like I died on the cross that day that he died on Calvary. That was my death penalty to sin, that I didn't have to die. Jesus died for me. I was identified with him in his death. And then it goes on, it says, not only was he baptized, were we baptized into his death, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So think baptism, think identification, in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That means that not only did we die to sin, and by the way, the penalty of sin was broken when that happened, we also were united with him in his resurrection to a new life. That means, it goes on, it says this, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, that is our old life, remember, it died on the cross, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The power of sin, not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin has been broken. We are free from the penalty of sin. We are free from the power of sin. And it goes on to say, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves to be 
dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This would be a good spot for an amen. amen. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. That's another spot for an amen. Since you're not under law, but under grace. See, in this passage, Paul addresses the incredible impact of our salvation. At salvation, our lives were united with Christ. That's what that word baptism means. His death was my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. Our resurrection. At salvation, we were freed from the penalty of sin. That's verse 3. We were freed from the power of sin. That's verses 6 to 14. And because of that, because of that, that's what God used to bring me to a point of salvation. It was because, it was because I was struggling I was struggling with some deep, deep, dark, dark sins in that moment, and I could not stop doing them. And it was in that moment that I realized that I had never gotten to a place where Jesus' death on the cross counted for me. I had been doing it all on my own. I've been trying to live right and for God all on my own. I had never realized that when Jesus died on the cross, that was my death penalty for sin. But not only that, it was the moment when he broke the power of sin over my life. And I had freedom like I have not had ever before in my life. It was amazing. It was real. Fast forward a couple of years and I'm in Bible college of all places. I'm in God's word every day. It is awesome serving God with my life. And you know what happened? The struggle with sin came back and it came back so intense. I was reminded of things I had been doing in my life in the past. I was reminded of things I was involved in. Images kept running through my mind over and over and over and over and over and I couldn't stop. I tried to stop. I was struggling. God help me. God, why can't I stop? And it was in, those moment, in that moment that I came to Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 became so real. Verse 15, said, the Apostle Paul says this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. It is good. So now it is no longer I who do it. Sin dwells within me. Those thoughts, those images, those desires, I could not get them out of my head. I could not stop. And that's, notice what the next verse says in verse 18. For I know... Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And isn't that real? Have you been there? Have you been there? Struggling, wanting to love and serve God with your life, but unable to stop. The struggle seems so real. And it seems in the middle of our struggle against temptation and struggle not to sin, not to do what we know God wants us to be doing, but to do the very thing we don't want to do, we end up giving up and sinning. You know, over the last few years on social media that people have used a hashtag, hashtag the struggle is real. There's various variations of this. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, my family was over uh, to the house a couple weekends back. We were playing a game together, and somehow uh, we, we were talking, I think, about joy and uh, living for, with joy, and somehow we kind of just started talking about how, uh, you know, we all kind of struggle with being joyful, and so I think one of us, you know, said, hashtag struggle's real, and then uh, my, my wife's cousin said, struggle's real, I'm on the struggle bus, Apparently, 
Apparently, I, I looked it up, apparently that's the new hashtag. It's not the struggle is real anymore, it's the struggle bus. And apparently there's not only a struggle bus, you can get on the struggle bus if the struggle's real, and then you can ride that struggle bus straight up to Struggleville. The struggle's real. The struggle's real. You know, it's, it's used for all kinds of challenges that we describe in our life uh, by people who know the Lord and who don't. Most of the time on social media, it's talking about nominal, if we're honest, gang first world problems. You know what I mean? Like, for example, uh, deciding whether, uh, what's your favorite color. I mean, people post on Twitter about the struggle with the fact that they don't have a favorite color and they're, they're asking people for help. Hashtag struggle's real. Or about the problem that we have with having to create a security password that is so good that's going to keep hackers from breaking into our money or other things that we have to, you know, create something as, uh, as integral as this. You know, uh, a letter, a number, two pieces of garlic bread, the name of your favorite uncle's third dog, a color ending in R, and your mom's favorite recipe, and a self-addressed stamp. That might keep your personal account safe. Struggle's real. Struggle's real. First world problems, no? But honestly, they can be really dark things too. But one person commenting on society's use of this is really that they said, you know, this hashtag really devalues our society's true vulnerability. And so it reduces our problems to 18 characters trivializing the issues of our lives. And while that may be an accurate description of society's use of this hashtag or phrase, the reality is people are identifying with the phrase and, and identifying with the true reality. Life, life is a struggle. And gang, for the Christian, that is true, certainly. And as a matter of fact, for the Christian, the struggle is not only with life, but the struggle is with living the life God wants us to. The struggle is with living against sin, and it is a serious reality for the Christian. Today, today we're going to talk about how for Christians, when it comes to the struggle against sin, the struggle is real. Notice with me, the Apostle Paul goes on in chapter 7 in verse 24, he says, identifying with those words that we just read earlier, describing how he cannot stop doing the things he does not want to do, wretched man that I am. You know, I wonder if Paul was living in our day, if Paul would have used a hashtag, the struggle is real. And I don't mean that to trivialize, but maybe he would have to identify with us. We're all saying it. When we want to be free from sin, right? We want to live for God with our lives, but we are so tempted at times. The struggle is real. Hear Paul's des- desperation. His cry for deliverance in the second half of that verse. Who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then notice the next verse, Paul's gratitude. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I serve, uh, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. In the middle of the struggle, I feel like saying to Paul, at those words, easy, Paul, easy. Calm down, man. How could you be so excited in the midst of your struggle? We're struggling with sin. I'm telling you, the struggle's real for me. How could you say that? What does Paul see in the midst of this about Christ and about the struggle? Well, to start, I have found in the past that when I am struggling against sin, when I am struggling against the temptation to, to turn from living a life for God in a moment, I think some interesting things. And I think I'm not alone. We do this as believers when we struggle with temptation. What I've found is that part of my struggle with the struggle or with struggling against sin is my misunderstanding of the struggle. My misunderstanding of the struggle. What I want us to know is, first of all, that misunderstanding comes from misunderstanding the fact that we are not free from sin's presence. 
We are not free from sin's presence. Praise God. We just read in Romans 6, we are free from the penalty and the power of sin. Amen? But not its presence. We still have three enemies that represent rebellion against God's authority. That is another way of saying sin. First is the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this of our enemy, the devil, Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary. Not God's, although he is. He's our adversary. The devil prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. We also have the world. And I don't mean by the world, I don't mean our earth and its physical structures. Uh, biblically, what the world means is, is one, one writer defined it as this. It's human, humanity's organized trajectory against God's plan for life. If God's plan is, is going this way, then the world is going this way. And that is the world we live in. And so if you want to follow with God, guess what? You are struggling up and up hill battle. It's an uphill battle. It's down. It's against the stream or the current, whatever you want to say. It's the world. James 4, 4 says this, if we all of a sudden turn and start following the world. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The devil, the world, and our flesh. Uh, Bible, another way that that could be described is, is our sin nature. One writer called, uh, described our sin nature as the energy within us that drives us against God's plan. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, just before those other verses we read, say this. So, Paul says, so I find there to be a law, an authority... In me, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, I see in me another law waging, somebody say that word, war against the law of my mind, making me what? Captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. See, we shouldn't be surprised. Okay? We shouldn't be surprised that we struggle with sin because we aren't free from its presence. It's outside of us. It's also in us. There is a war if our hearts are the Lord's. Another problem comes not only with misunderstanding, uh, not understanding the fact that we're not free from the presence of sin, comes from misunderstanding what the struggle means about our spiritual maturity. Here's the dialogue that sometimes goes on in our minds. At least it goes on in mine. I know I'm not alone when I say this. We, in the midst of our struggle against sin or after we sin, this is something we say. I'm struggling. That must mean I'm still immature in this area of my life. Or, if I really was mature, I, would I wouldn't still have this specific struggle. In my, in my life. What about you? Is that how you look at temptation? In the midst of it, when you're tempted, even worse, you sin, you conclude, man, I must not be walking with God enough. I must be immature that I would be struggling right here. Hear me carefully. Gang, hear me very carefully and write this down. Our maturity is not is not defined by no longer struggling against temptation to sin. Our spiritual maturity is not defined by no longer or the absence of the struggle against temptation to sin. Remember, we are not free from the presence of sin. So we will face times of struggle. Again, we have to let go of thinking that freedom... From sin is marked by freedom from the struggle. That would mean there isn't freedom to be found in this life. And there most certainly is, friends. Listen to this and then write this down. Our maturity is 
defined. Not by the absence of the struggle, but what we do when the struggle is real. Our maturity is defined by what we do when the struggle is real. We'll say more about that soon, but that leads to another misunderstanding of the struggle. Misunderstanding what the struggle says about our ability to overcome sin. See, if we think that the absence of the struggle means maturity, then we will wrongly think that when the struggle is present, not only are we immature, not only are we not free, but also that we cannot overcome. And this can't be true because we have seen the, the Apostle Paul sharing of his very own struggle and friends. If there was anybody who knew how to walk with God, it was the Apostle Paul. He was mature. And it is in that context that the Apostle Paul says later in Romans chapter 8 that he was a conqueror. See, in this life, victory over sin is not defined by the absence of struggle against sin. We are not yet free from its presence. But Paul says some very interesting things later that help give us insight, because you're going, wait a minute, then how are we free? Well, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 24 go on. For I consider, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not compared, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us, to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together. Does that not sound like a struggle? In the pains of childbirth until now. How many people, well, ladies in the house that have given birth? Men in the house that have witnessed? Educational television? No, just kidding. Uh, Listen, is there not a struggle in the midst of that? Woo! If I could not be there, I would. Anyways, love my wife. Uh, Not only the creation, but we ourselves... We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. There is a struggle as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. We were rescued. Now hope that is, not seen, that is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Gang, we are overcomers now. But that is different than freedom from the presence of sin, which is to come when the Lord Jesus returns and restores this earth and us. Now, I know some of you might be kind of saying, wait a minute, are you saying the Christian life is a constant struggle, and that's what we should expect? Well, kind of, yeah. <laughs> How many of you would identify with that? Let's just call it what it is. It is a struggle. Now, certainly, certainly there are seasons of relief, and certainly there are ways that we can promote that. There are things that we can do. But you and I need to realize that that relief does not mean that we will not face future struggles of that very temptation and that very sin in the, because we have not yet been freed from the presence of sin. It is outside of us and it is in us and we are at war with it. And therefore... We should not be surprised when the struggle returns because, gang, the struggle is real. So now that we've identified what the struggle against sin doesn't mean, let's talk about what the struggle really means. For the Christian, the struggle is real because the Spirit of God is in our life. And the Spirit's presence 
is at war with sin's presence in our lives. Notice again what Paul said in verses 22 through 23 of Romans chapter 7. He says, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There are two laws. Did you see those? Law of God, law, another law waging war. And in the face of that, Paul sees Jesus' deliverance for him. Romans chapter 8. Verses, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You best say amen to that. Come on now. For the law of the spirit of life has what? Set you free. When? It says it's already done. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is what? Everybody say it. Death. That sounds like what? A struggle. But to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and... Man, that's what I'm after, aren't you? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, one of those laws is the law of sin. And it is present in us and it is present to lead us in rebellion against God. Another law is, uh, is, is the law of the spirit of life. That's what we saw in verse 2. And it is present in us to obey God. The law of sin is our sin nature. It has been there since our conception. The moment... Jeffrey Mark Stappenbeck came to be. He was a sinner. Man, he was a sinner. The law of the spirit of life has been there since our spiritual birth, our salvation. And in the face of the struggle between these two forces, guess what? It's a war, but the truth is, we're free. We are free from sin's penalty. We are free from its power, and the Spirit is leading us in freedom in the face of sin's presence because we are God's children. Notice again what Romans 8, verses 23 through 24 say. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. That's the struggle as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body, and it's for in this hope we were saved. Gang, don't miss this. Write this one down. This is what struggle really means. If we are truly struggling, truly wanting to please God, truly wanting to live for God and hating the temptation and fighting against that struggle, it is because, it's because we are Christians that the struggle is real. See, this is important. Before I was a Christian, my struggle with sin was very different. My struggle with sin was I did, was just trying to avoid getting caught. Yeah, I might feel a little weird if somebody really found out the kind of things I did in the dark. Yeah, I would have really felt bad about that in some way, maybe a little ashamed. But, if it, but when it really came down to it, I really enjoyed sin. Really enjoyed it. And see, when I became a Christian, though, I got a new heart. If you have, you did too. And because of that, I became sensitive to God's will. So have you if you've given your life to Jesus. I love God and I want to follow him. Someone needs the freedom this is going to bring. It's no wonder there is a struggle in your life. Some of us think we aren't Christians because of the struggle 
because of the presence of the struggle against sin. If you really struggle, if you really hate sinning, if you really love God, and that's why you hate what you're doing, hate the desires, that's because there's a war going on inside of you and your heart of heart is God's and your heart of heart is God's. We think if we don't struggle, we're free. But think about this. There was a time when we didn't struggle at all. Yeah, again, we might have struggled about getting caught or trying to avoid all of that. Maybe we really didn't like exactly what we're doing, but after the fact felt weird, but, but we really liked it in the moment. You know when that was? It was when we were spiritually dead. Paul said, if we have given our lives to Jesus, we are spiritually alive to God. And when that happened, a change happened for us to want to follow God. And when that came, the struggle really began and took on new meaning and new intensity, and it did not go away. In fact, struggle doesn't mean that necessarily that you aren't right with God. It may actually be the proof that you need to know you are, in fact, right with God. By the way, the opposite might also be true. We should be concerned if there is no struggle. We need to be careful to think because we're not struggling, things are great. We should actually be concerned if there is no struggle. See, if you haven't really given your life to Jesus, you really, and I don't mean to be rude, I'm not trying to be like forceful, I'm just saying you really don't struggle with sin. Because I've been there, I know. I know, if, if we really like it. We really like it. And so if we're really pushed, if we're really tempted, eventually we just, we enjoy it. But something happens when we love God. We might enjoy it for a moment, but then there's a point when we absolutely hate it. And we want to break free of it. And so, the struggle with sin should, in that sense, be an encouragement. It should be an encouragement to know, I'm struggling because God's Spirit is in me. And since that's true, we are, in fact, free and able to overcome the struggle. Paul says in chapter 8, verses 12 through 18, and verses 37 through 39, he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Do you guys catch that? Paul is saying, listen, if you're struggling against sin, it's the fact that you are being led by the Spirit, if you put to death the deeds of the flesh, it is because the Spirit of God is in you, it is because you are a son of God. And you did not receive the spirit of fear, the fear that you are not right with God because you're struggling against sin, to fall back in fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the Christian, this is reality. In the Christian life, the struggle is real. But the struggle really means that we are free. We are free from the penalty and the power of sin, and God's Spirit, the very Spirit that raised God from the, Jesus himself from the dead is alive in us and leading us in the path of freedom. The Spirit of God in us. So let's talk more about that freedom. How the Spirit is our help. Help for when the struggle is real. Well, let's start with this. We've already really identified this, but first of all, we, just, we need to start with the truth about the struggle. It's to capture two verses that just remind us of that. Romans 6, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here is the truth. Here is the truth about the struggle. When the struggle is real, one of the first things we can do is we can stop the madness in our heads. And we can focus on the truth. And we can let the Spirit remind us, do I really hate this? Do I really want this to stop? Let God speak to you. You are free. I am here to help you. Maybe you need to actually say that to yourself. I am free. I am not alone. God's Spirit is here and with me right now to help. And honestly, at that point, it's going to come down to believing, obeying whether or not you believe that. And gang, that is encouraging because we have the very Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead alive in us. If he could raise a dead man to life, he can give life to us in the midst of the struggle that we have against sin. Secondly, we can look to Jesus and die to ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 say this. says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, when we look to Jesus... We see what Jesus said. We see that he is the bread of life. That he is the one that brings the fullness to my heart that I am tempted to believe that sin is going to provide for me. When I look to Jesus, I see that he is the fountain of living water. And I see that what my heart thirsts for and is, and is tempted to believe is going to give life to me in that temptation that I'm struggling against is actually found in Jesus. And so I look to Jesus, and then not only do I look to Jesus, but I am reminded then not only to look to him and to be satisfied by him, but to then also see the example of how to follow God. See, Philippians, uh, Hebrews also says that Jesus was tempted to sin in every way as we are, which means he struggled. Now, how that happens, that is a mystery to me, because how that is true being uh, fully God and fully man and not having a sin nature, how that works, I don't quite know. But what I do know is that it says it was legitimate. And the best I can understand is this, that when he became a man, yes, he was God, but he fully gave up his rights to act and to act out his godness, if you will, while he was a man. And he walked with God through uh, this earth, following God's will, being tempted not to, But rather than just turning on the God switch, if you will, uh, being God, it says that he entrusted himself to God's will and trusted the Spirit of God within him to empower him to live for God. And that is my example to follow, to die to myself and to say God's way is where life is found and Jesus is where my heart is satisfied. And like Jesus overcame, I will follow him and overcome too. We can pray for God's leadership. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says these words in verse 13. He says, And lead us not into temptation. He's praying. He's saying, this is, something, this is part of the Lord's prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A while back, a while back we actually had a series on the Lord's prayer. If you hadn't uh, gotten a chance to, to be a part of that, maybe you want to look that up on our, on our website or on our pod, uh, a podcast app. Uh, and this, pr- this prayer really is this. Something like this, God, lead me and help keep me so focused on your leadership in my life that I won't be anywhere near or anywhere interested in sinning. Pray for God's leadership and follow God's path to freedom. First of all, by submitting yourselves to God and resisting the struggle to sin. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Gang, draw near to God, and what is the promise? He will draw near to you. Isn't that hopeful? Doesn't that give you hope? 
In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of wanting to follow God, you turn to him and you know, God, I know you're coming to me now. You are drawing near. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Believe. Secondly, believe and take the escape route. Believe that there is an escape route and take it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Why? God is faithful. And he will not let you tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Gang, in the midst of the struggle, the struggle is not the end. In the struggle, there is no reason we have to give in to the struggle. There is, always, there always is a way of escape. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, gives one way. So, flee. Does anybody know what that word means? It means run. It means like, run for your lives. Flee. Flee from youthful passions. From the struggle. The temptation. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Gang, make no mistake about it. Yes, when the struggle is real, it is real. But there is always a way of escape. We don't have to sin. We are not defeated. Someone is going to find true freedom from that today. Because the Spirit of God is in your life. And this is, by the way, this is where things get individual here. As you think about, if you've given your life to Jesus and you're thinking about how you're struggling with a sin, or you think about how you, maybe you're in the midst of a struggle. This is an opportunity for you to say, how, how has the Spirit worked in my life before? And how have I found freedom before? And to start walking with God in a plan to address it in that way. And really, all of that could be boiled down to this. All of those things, really, it's not meant to be a list, by the way. These, those, those are just some principles for you. And maybe this could help capture that for you. In the midst of the struggle, when the struggle is real, you need to write this down. I'm struggling against sin. If you are really struggling against it because you really hate it, because you really love God, and you want to live for him because you know you've given your life to Jesus, you want to live for him, You can say, I know I'm struggling against sin because I am fully alive to God. And so I'm free to choose right. I'm fully alive to God because God's spirit is in me. And that's why I'm struggling against this temptation. So I know I am free to choose right because I'm free from the power of sin. God's spirit is alive in me and that power raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That power is far greater than this struggle that I am in the middle of right now. You know, this idea of the law of sin at work in us and the the law of the spirit of life that sets us free from the law of sin and death. um, You know, try to provide an example. There's actually a really good one, I think, uh, in understanding the law of gravity and the law of aerodynamic lift. Now, I am, don't trust me, I, I, I am not a, Scientist by any means, and I'm not going to try and explain the law of aerodynamic lift. But, I, but, but there's an example of, of two men, historically we know about them, uh, who, who acted on what they understood to be true about the law of aerodynamic lift. In, uh, on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers, two American brothers, inventors and aviation pioneers, they are credited with inventing and building the world's first successful airplane, making the first controlled, powered, and sustained heavier-than-air human flight. Those are a lot of technical words, but what that basically means is that other people had flown objects before, but none of them had flown before one that was powered and powered with humans on it. So people knew 
uh, aviation pioneers before them knew that, yes, the law of gravity was true, but also there was mathematically provable a law of aerodynamic lift, that if an object was shaped in a certain way and, and moved at a certain speed, that it would actually overcome, essentially, the law of gravity and be able to lift and fly. And so because of that, people acted on that, and they did that. But when it came to the idea that, that, a machine, that, 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 that an object could be powered and have a human on it, that was madness, and that was craziness, and people thought that was silly, and you could not do that, even though the math was there. And so, guess what? Two men said, I believe in the math. The law is true. And so, because of that, they acted on it, and they were the first two to fly a a powered, propelled uh, object, a human human object, credited with uh, starting the first airplane, if you will. And that's like what you and I need to do in the midst of the struggle. In the midst of the struggle, we are tempted to believe that the law of sin is unbelievably powerful. We cannot overcome it. But there is another law at work in us if we are in Christ. And it says that we are free from the law of sin and death. And we need to act and believe upon that. And when we do, that is where the freedom is found. Now... When we do sin, because you will, and I will too, this is also true. If we have given our lives to Christ, this is true. That moment of sin, on the other end of it, we own it. Yeah, I did do that. And it's even a bigger deal because I didn't have to. I know I'm free. But I also know this, because of that, this does not define me. That's not who I am. I love God. I want to do right. The Spirit of God is alive in me. I am fully alive to God. And God is here to help. So I am free to choose right the next time. And I am. Now, I might not, but everything is true that says that, that just like the Wright brothers acted on the law of aerodynamic lift, I can too act upon the truth that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to my mortal body. So maybe you need to say this with me. If you've given your life to Jesus, I'm fully alive to God. Maybe you've got to say that right now. Say it with me. I'm fully alive to God. So I'm free. I'm free to choose right. All right, let's try that again. Let's get in it. If you've given your life to Jesus, this is true. Say it with me. I'm fully alive to God. So I'm free to choose right. And when I sin, I'm free to choose right next time. Next time. See, the struggle with sin really means this. The struggle is the experience for us in this world of God's intention for our lives. Freedom in the midst of sin's presence, pointing to the day when we will be free from sin's presence. We are sojourners on a world pointing to a world that is free from the presence of sin. And so our ability to walk through it points to the day when it will be gone. Today, God's desire for your life is to no longer be ruled by sin and temptation, but to be ruled by the Spirit. The struggle is a real-time experience for us of God's Spirit's empowering our lives. We are free now. God's Spirit would say, now let me lead you. So are you listening to God's Spirit when the struggle is real? Let's pray. First off, as we, as we start our time together, some of you might be here and you're kind of struggling, you're struggling as we're talking about the struggle uh, against sin. You're struggling with acknowledging whether or not you really, if you're honest, have struggled against sin in your life. And I'm not sure what that is, but as, I, as, as we've been opening God's word, God's been speaking to you. 
you might not realize it, but things are coming to your mind. Things you've done, things you've thought, things you've said. And it might not necessarily be what some of us just automatically think of and some kind of sin of purity. You know, but maybe, maybe you struggle with how you spoke to your children, to your child today. Maybe you, maybe you struggled with what you thought about your wife. Maybe you struggled with what you thought about yourself. And some of you, you're here and you're like, yeah, I don't think I've really struggled at all in those ways. If I'm honest, I think you probably, you probably would, I could probably be in that category of, I'm, I feel pretty good about the things I do. And I don't feel bad about them at all. And I know, I know you would never say that out loud. I know I wouldn't. But if that's you, we actually all stand this way before a holy God apart out of ourselves without the hope of Jesus and the work he's done on our behalf, we're in trouble. And that, those things will be found out if no one else has seen them. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. And he took the penalty for that. And maybe you're realizing, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus because I don't want to keep doing those things and I don't want to be found out. If that's you, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus for whatever reason tonight, you could pray something like this in your heart. Dear God, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die in my place, to take my penalty. And I believe that you've freed me from the power of this sin in my life. trusting you to now lead me because I don't know how to live apart from your help. Whether us, others of us are here and, and as, as we're here, God's been really speaking specifically to something in your life or something that you've just realized, I, I've thought wrong about my t- this temptation. I've thought maybe wrong about why I feel the way I do. Maybe you've, maybe you've realized that you've probably stayed there for longer than you need to because of how you felt about it and thought about it. Would you just turn to God now? Would you look to Jesus and to see his promise that if you really, really know that you've given your life to Jesus and you hate the sin and that's, that, that that is, you have hope. God's spirit is in you. And you can choose to live right. His spirit will give you life. I thank you for this hope. Thank you for this hope that we have in the midst of the struggle against sin. Thank you for the hope that's in this that we were saved. To know in a world broken and in in, in our own lives, the brokenness of our own sin, you have removed the penalty, you have broken its power, and you will one day break its presence in our lives. And in the midst of that, you lead us in the path of deliverance, the path of freedom. So we trust you, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, to give life to our mortal bodies. Pray in your name, Jesus, with thanksgiving. Thank you. Amen.